Live from Harrison County, West Virginia, welcome to the Healthy Harrison Podcast, a show designed to help you change your state. I'm Gary Bowden, Healthy Harrison board member, and along with us this morning or this afternoon, whatever you're watching this, is Amy Haverbosch-Wilson, who is the recently elected president of the Healthy Harrison Board of Directors. Amy, good Hello, day. How are you? That, yes. that covers all eventualities. Yes, yes. Good day. We're streaming this program live on the Healthy Harrison Facebook page, as well as on the statewide distribution network of our media partner, WVNews.com. Every week at this time, we chat with individuals who in their personal or professional lives, or both, uh, share the mission of Healthy Harrison, which is essentially to foster measurable improvement to the health and well-being of the folks here in North Central West Virginia. Today, we welcome Carolyn Arnold, who's had a highly successful career in technology, is currently a managing director and head of enterprise data platforms in the financial field on Wall Street. That's not why she's joining us today. Ms. Arnold wrote a book, Small Move, Big Change, Using Micro Resolutions to Transform Your Life Permanently. Carolyn, the content of your book is right in the wheelhouse of what we've been trying to do at Healthy Harrison. You know that because you've talked to some of our folks before. Uh, you know, this is what we're trying to share with our community. This is how we're trying to help our community. We thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Gary, and thanks, yeah. Amy. I have to say, I was, you know, from the beginning when I was first contacted a few years ago after I wrote the book by the Healthy Harrison folks. I've been amazed to see the progress that you've made. I mean, I understood it as a concept, an idea and something you were getting going. And I've been amazed by all that you've been able to accomplish and even the reach of this podcast. And I was delighted uh, when you guys reached out to connect on this, um, to talk to people who are you know, trying to make measurable improvement in their lives and enjoy it while they do it. Um, it is an adventure. All of life is changed. So the question is, you know, how do we harness it and make it work for us? Well, it, uh, when I started reading, I thought this is so perfect for what we're trying uh, to do, because the whole idea of trying to help people stick to uh, proposed changes in their personal life um, uh, can be a challenge. And I think you've really found a way to simplify it. And we'll get into all of that. Let's first take a, just a quick dive into your background because you majored in uh, English literature at Cal Berkeley. Uh, as we mentioned, you've been a tech manager on Wall Street yeah. for quite a few years. Uh, you're now an author. That's an interesting blend of uh, activities and careers. Uh, it is indeed, you know, I mean, uh, it's very interesting. My father would say, well, life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. And uh, certainly I couldn't have predicted any of this. I think people now today who get into technology, it's a very directed career path. They apply for engineering programs and it's very competitive and everybody understands what that career path is. Though, of course, there are always people that find themselves doing it just with a gift. Um, at the time that I graduated from school, um, I, you know, I, I went through college just thinking about the things I wanted to learn. You know, I wanted to read and I wanted to study. And I had sort of more, you know, sort of artsy ambitions and things like that. But I picked up programming and I was good at it. 
And it was kind of my waitressing, if you will. You know, it was the thing I did uh, right. to make money. But then I got very lucky and uh, landed, you know, uh, as a consultant in a wonderful firm that was making a lot of change. And I signed up for that. And it was one of those pivotal, pivotal, pivotal moments where I really made the right decision. I was in a great work culture that was about change. It was very direct and open, very healthy and productive. And that got me started really uh, on the career path that I'm still on today, um, which is managing, uh, you know, and, and building large technology systems for financial, you know, for a financial institution on Wall Street, which is very exciting. The book came out of a, you know, a different thing. I, you mentioned I was an English major. I always thought I would write. I thought, well, I'm going to write a novel one day. But yeah. at some point, I had an experience personally about bringing, getting successful at making personal changes where I had always been a failure at the New Year's resolution. And that success led to a lot of exper experimenting and working on how to transform myself through making marginal behavioral changes. And it had such a big effect on my life and on the life of colleagues and friends that I shared it with that pretty soon I thought, hey, this could be a book. And lo and behold, it became a book. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was somewhat accidental, uh, but uh, it's put me in touch with people everywhere. I mean, one universal is, everybody wants to self-improve, you know? So everybody relates to something in this topic personally. Yeah, the, um, and I, 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 w I intended to ask you at, at what stage did we decide that some of these changes that you had uh, successfully uh, figured out, uh, at, at what point did the book concept come to be? But uh, I, I see now that it just, it was kind of just a gradual progression uh, as you started to succeed with some of these. Small Move, Big Change is certainly a self-help read, but it, it's a little bit of an autobiography too. Uh, tell us about your inspiration to write it then. Let's yeah. continue down this road. And, and then uh, as we explain that, let, let's go ahead and jump into what the heck is a micro resolution. Okay, great. Uh, so I had one of these experiences that I'm sure everyone can relate to. Hello, it's one month into the year. Many of our uh, listeners, viewers today have probably made a New Year's resolution and, and probably most of you have failed it, at it by this point because the odds are against you. It's about a 90% failure rate. And, and I was no different. Like every year I sort of said, I'm going to eat less and exercise more and I would throw myself into it. I would make some progress and then I would start to lose ground. And then I think, oh, this is too hard all. I'll do it later. And I couldn't really understand how it was possible to get so much done at work. And you know, people would ask almost impossible things to get done and somehow I'd be able to galvanize myself to get that thing done at work. But if it came down to going to the gym once a week, you know, I would flub it. Like, why was that? And so one year I decided that I was going to make a resolution I was sure I could keep. In other words, one that didn't have to do with diet or exercise. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to be organized. And I went out at the beginning of the year and I bought all these organizers from my desk at home. And those, those stores do their best business in January. It's all downhill from there because everybody yeah, makes a resolution like this. Right. I organized everything and I patted myself on the back and said, look at this. I, kept my new year's resolution right 
But it didn't take long before my desk at home looked as chaotic as it had before I bought all the organizers. And I was so mortified that I hadn't succeeded that I just wouldn't let go of it. And I thought, okay, well, if I can't be 100% organized, what's one thing I can do that will make me more organized? And that one thing I picked was to keep all my notes in one notebook. And it sounds so easy, but it was hard. I was used to just scribbling on an agenda at work yeah, everything on a awesome. pad yeah. or in two or three different notebooks. And then when I'd want to find something, I couldn't. And I was, it was, I was surprised how irritating it was to me. Like, okay, I'm on the phone. I want to take a note. I, I've got to get my notebook out. But because it was such a small thing, I felt I can't fail at it. That would be just too horrifying. And so I stuck with it. And after about four weeks, an amazing thing happened. Um, it went into a kind of easy place where it was my habit, uh, what I call autopilot. And it turned out to be much more useful than I thought. Uh, it I put everything in there. I put, you know, what I was doing at work and my next set of priorities, but I also would put things I had to do from home in a different place. And then if I had a confirmation number for a flight, for a vacation, I put it there. And it turned out I was just much more effective because I could flip through and find these things. I didn't have a hyper organization scheme around this notebook. I just put everything in one place. And I thought, gee, if I could be successful with this small thing and it could have this effect on me being more efficient, why don't I go back to diet and try something? And the thing I decided to do was never to eat a conference room cookie again. <laughs> uh, because where I worked then, it's changed a lot, but this was more in the 90s, late 90s. There were like cookies in the conference room all the time. And no matter what your willpower, I come in and, and eat it. And, you know, these were huge cookies, right? I mean, you know, and then once I had one, I'd eat another. And I decided I'm not going to do that. If I want a cookie, I'll bring a cookie or I'll eat a cookie afterwards, but I'm not going to do it. And again, at first it was hard. And then I never thought about it again. And I actually began making these marginal behavioral changes and was very successful. Now, one thing I want to say to people is when you make that classic New Year's resolution to be more organized, to be thin by summer, you know, to be assertive, you're sort of using the language of overnight transformation to wake up the next day and be one of these things. If you're not neat today, you don't wake up neat the next day. And neatness is tons and tons of activities. It's not just, I want to be neat. And so you're basically then trying to change everything you're doing all at once to achieve this more abstract goal to be neat. When in fact, what brings change is to do something differently, to commit to doing something differently and to do that thing until it's second nature. If you grew up making your bed every day before you went to school, it doesn't cost you anything to do it today. If you didn't grow up that way and you try to teach yourself to make your bed before you leave, it will cost you something mentally to do that task. Um, and I can, you know, I'll pause because you might have a question, but I can explain why it is, you know, that that happens. It's when we fail at a resolution, we think we're weak that we have a poor character, you know, it just wasn't strong enough character. It's not that. Willpower is neurological and it's a limited resource. 
And it's the same, it's in the same group of brain resources that active initiative and decision-making are. So if you're using your willpower or you're making active decisions or you're initiating activities, which are a lot of things we do at work, you're draining this very limited pool you have. So for example, nobody breaks a diet when they wake up in the morning, they break the diet later when their willpower is at an ebb. So the whole purpose of this system is to preserve your willpower long enough that you can get a change over the finish line. Yeah. Love it, love that. I, and I love the book, I will say that. Um, and when you're explaining the, the be versus do, that, that was something that definitely stuck. You find someone that is that already. If you find someone that is organized, someone that, that is, you know, they work out constantly, what do they do to get to be that person? And it's, you're right. It was just, that's something that was stuck with me. And the example it used with the keys, very simple. I used it with all three of my kids. I like explaining that to them that, you know, I think you said you're coming home years later, you don't live there anymore. You have your own car, but just by habit, you hung your keys up because out of habit for all those years as driving in that family, sharing your car, you knew where to put your keys and you don't think anything about it. Exactly right. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm sure many of you have this experience. If you're going some, if you go someplace every day and then one day you're going someplace different and in New York that translates into maybe going a different direction on the subway or taking a different subway. As soon as you stop thinking about it, you start piloting towards the place you usually go. I mean, I've done that a million times because I've been programmed, I've programmed myself to do it. And we talk so much about mindfulness and mindfulness is important, but mindlessness is important too, meaning it doesn't cost me anything to do it. I don't have to think how to tie my shoe the way I did when I was a kid because I've done it so many times. I can be tying my shoe and thinking of a big thought, right? But if I'm going to do something different, it's going to disturb that autopilot. And that's why it's so difficult to make change. You gave that great example of something like keys or anything. I think We've all grown up with habits that serve us. The goal is how to make new ones to get to where you want to be now, to be that person. That person who goes to the gym all the time, that might be who they are and DNA, or it might've been built you know, one, one small session, once a week at a time until that person became addicted to that. And that's kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, true, true. And it's the first of the year, it's, it's a new year. Everyone uses that, like you said, the first of the year as an example you make your resolutions um we're all doing it people are doing it businesses are doing it you know families are doing it teachers are doing it with their kids what are we doing wrong you know, what's the how are we failing at this and yeah. you said 90 percent. yeah 90 percent fail because we just don't when you make a big big resolution to be a different person to be neat to exercise every day if you don't exercise at all you're going to war with your autopilot, all those habits that sustain you every day so that when you're thinking important thoughts or doing important things or spending quality time with your kid, you're awake and alive for that because all that other stuff is happening. And that's a battle you're probably going to lose, that battle with autopilot. Not always. People said, I'm going to run a marathon. And you know, a lot of people have a big life change. You know, Something happens in their life and they just go for it and they're able to do it. But for most of us, We've already got work, family life, and other things, and now we're trying to make a big change. The key is to fit it in, into what is already working for you and flowing, and it will have more impact than just the one thing you're doing. So one of mine was to walk once a week to work. 
And the first day that I did it, I really wanted to kind of veer, like as I passed the subway, I was kind of like, I want to go down that thing because that's what I usually do. And I just kept doing it. And I only did it once a week. I didn't then say I'm going to do it five days a week because it has to be something measurable. It has to be something small enough that you can commit to it without excuses. One thing we do is we bargain with ourselves. I say, okay, I broke my diet today, but I'm going to eat even less tomorrow. Or I didn't go to the gym today, so I'm going to do twice as much gym tomorrow, as opposed to making a resolution that we can't fail at. If you don't hang up your coat when you come home, as I didn't, that resolution to hang up your coat, it sounds so silly. It creates something new. It's, it itself is a different pattern. I would like throw my coat down and start making dinner. Um, I used to have a chair in my bedroom that had clothes on it. Those just disappeared once I sort of got the first one down, that mental pattern of doing something different. It works for work situations as well. I, and it works for relationship situations. We all respond to our children, our coworkers, you know, our, our partners, often in a kind of autopilot too. Like when my husband would criticize me, I'd immediately get defensive if he said anything. Like, you know, you left the light on in the basement last night. And then I go into this long thing about, well, that's because I was working all day. And then I came home and made dinner for everybody. And you're like picking on me. And I realized, you know, what a sour feeling there was after one of these exchanges, you know. And I finally made this micro resolution, which was, I'm just not going to uh, say I'm, and I would hear myself say I was sorry first, but I wasn't sorry. I was mad, you know. And so I thought, I'm just not going to say I'm sorry. I'm just going to acknowledge that I heard it, right? So the first time it happened, something like that happened, I said, um, okay, got it. I didn't say you're right. I didn't say anything else. And a, a magical thing happened. We had a wonderful evening and I didn't, nothing terrible happened to me because I didn't, you know, I was treating everything he said like a kind of a gotcha. And I didn't realize that till I changed my own behavior. You can't change other people's behavior, but you can change your response to someone else's behavior. Uh, another one is my child would, you know, I'd be arguing my child and she'd get louder and I'd get louder and she'd get louder and I'd get louder. And then one day I decided I'm going to get quieter every time she does that. And all of a sudden she got quieter. So these are the kinds of pivots and, and levers you're trying to find for yourself by observing how you respond to the environment and making a change. <coughs> really to the people, the, the whole person by targeting the mind, the move and eat. And you've actually tackled all three of those really in just the first few chapters of your book. Yes, those chapters do compile. I, the first year I made, I think, 22 changes. Now you can only do a couple at one time. I have to say I do two at a time and I do them for about four to six weeks you know, before I take up another one, because otherwise you kind of go on tilt, but that's a lot of change. If you're doing, would you two recommend the time frame? you say two to four, about four to six weeks before it starts to be less, before it starts to be more mindless and doesn't require you to concentrate. Right. Um, and I applied this to everything. I am in every way. I am neater, more organized. Uh, I I'm, I'm, I, I lost weight, I'm more exercised, but I'm not perfect in any of these things. I didn't, I'm not the organized person or the person that goes to the gym every day, but I'm the person that 
walks every day when I go to work and I added, you know, Pilates step, but I didn't do it all at once. I learned to love it. Then I wanted to do it. And um, at work, I made changes too. Um, very similar to the story I talked about my husband. I think we've all been in the experience of work of getting feedback. That's what we call it today. We used to call it like criticism, but like developmental yeah. feedback. And, you know, so often people, their reaction is to, they defend themselves, you know, mm -hmm. and no matter how gentle it is, right? Gary, you were telling me about all your years in business. Yeah. Um, or they explain, oh, well, the reason I was late, you know, you don't have to do any of that. If you just acknowledge it and say, oh, I'm going to think about that. You don't even have to agree, or I'm going to give that some focus. Thank you for telling me that. I mean, immediately, you know, a good thing has happened. The person who's giving you the feedback feels heard. You give yourself a chance to hear it and think about it without defending yourself. And you look, you have a better executive presence and more mature if you can respond that way. And it's just a simple thing. You just teach yourself not to respond the way you normally do, which is to immediately go defensive. So as I said, the goal is not perfection. I'm so imperfect in every way. The goal is to get closer to the things that means something to you. And by going a bit at a time, you can decide, you know, you don't have to be the neatest person in the world. You know, I did these things. It's pretty neat. I'd rather focus on something else now that, you know, yeah. again, it's very hard to change everything. We're talking with Carolyn Arnold, who's the author of the book, Small Move, Big Change. Our podcast is brought to you every week by sponsors who we couldn't do without. WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. Uh, I, I'm curious, I mentioned before, Carolyn, that the book is somewhat autobiographical. Uh, were you at all self-conscious about sharing your very personal stories uh, in this book? And I'm also curious, as you were making these many changes, these micro resolutions, did people notice it? Did people know you were doing it? That's a great question. Um, people did notice a couple of things and I explained it, you know, like the sort of business, of, you know, people noticed that I didn't eat in the conference room and they did notice the notebook. I don't think they saw it as a pattern, but I did start and that certainly they noticed, you know, I think as I exercise more like my husband noticed things, people noticed things, but I also shared, you know, once I started having some yeah. luck. Okay. That's what I wondered. And what was interesting then is people started doing it. They would sort of tell me their story and I would write it down. And my system sort of then started to become a system. I started to say, okay, well, what, what happens if you start one of these things and it doesn't quite work? How do you tune it? Like, how do you make it, don't give up. Like if it's not working exactly as you sort of formulated it, you know, how can I tune it so that it's going to work a little better for me? And people brought me really wonderful stories. And so I really had a group of people who were sort of experimenting with me after I got mm. like about six or seven Ooh. of these things under mm. my belt. Yeah. And so that was a lot of fun. And people still call me up and say, I did the greatest micro resolution. Here's what I did. Yeah. Um, and some of these things, you know, it's a, when you do an experiment in science, you don't change every variable, right? You have a bunch of variables and you change one thing so you can right. observe the change. 
this is similar to if I change one thing and I observe the change, I get more personal insight. So to your point about it being personal, it couldn't really be anything but personal because I was talking about my deficits as I saw them or the things I wanted to improve on, let's not call them deficits, the things that I thought I would be happier if I changed. And my successes and failures, my psychology around it, um, there's a lot of science that backs it up and there's a lot of science in the book. But I think, you know, I couldn't do anything but share. And I was very grateful for the people who shared with me because some of the best examples in the book came from other people. Yeah. It sounded like you were starting uh, to go here uh, and, and that being just because we make micro resolutions does not uh, mean that we're going to be successful. There's a part of your book, and I, and I don't want to get too lengthy with this answer because this is a little bit more delicate, but I think you talk, I think you use the term framing. Sometimes the way we frame our micro resolution can lead to a, a lesser or better outcome. That's so true. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one of my, I noticed that I ate very quickly uh, faster than other people much. I was done before everybody else. And then I'd watch other people eat and to sort of be part of the flow. I would eat bread or something like that to keep along. And I just, I made a micro resolution to chew my food slowly, but it really bothered me to do it. I mean, it wasn't a message that was pleasant while you're eating to chew slowly. Um, and so I reframed it to savor my food and drink. And you can see the difference, you know, one is I'm trying not to chew too fast. And the other is I'm pausing to really, really enjoy what I'm eating. Um, and so many of those, uh, the way we talk to ourselves about what we're trying to do has a very big influence on how successful we are. And so I do give several examples of how, how can you make it positive, something that you want to do, not a negative, not a don't do, but a want to do. And you can, you know, send that signal to yourself. You know, I, you know, one thing um, I told my some up some resolutions are just a message when I would sort of be tempted to overspend I'd certainly love to shop and do those things I would sometimes tell myself or I, I message myself uh, the very the biggest luxury is security the biggest luxury like don't don't spend the point that you know you're going to be on the edge and I would repeat that so that I would feel more like I was giving myself something by refraining than passing on something. And so I think, again, you have to know yourself. So it's about observing what works for you and getting in touch with that. Right. But it's easy, you know, everyone can do it. You say the uh, micro resolutions are both personal and professional. Did you find either environment harder than the other or were they equally difficult? Um, you know, in many ways, the professional environment, because it's a very structured environment um, with a certain, you know, in a certain way, it is, we spend more time at work than many of us spend more time at work than we spend everywhere else. So it's certainly a human hive with all of the human 
feelings and experiences, but it's also a more controlled environment. So in some ways, it's easier to do. So when I notice things, you know, I, you know, one micro resolution I made was just to clear my screen of calendar entries that I opened, you know, throughout the day, I would open so many things that then I would want to find, I'd be flipping around. I'd be very inefficient. Or, you know, another one was to make, one of my friends made one was to make, she was a lawyer, to make the most difficult phone call of the day first, you know, to get it out of the way instead of letting it affect her productivity all day long as she dreaded it. So it's a more limited canvas of, of, of things that add up to being, you know, organized or efficient than when you're looking at your whole home, then you're looking at, you know, the mail and you're looking at your taxes and you're looking at the basement and all this stuff. So in a certain way, it's, it's a clear environment. And also you're not as distracted at work. So I think those can be very successful. But the thing to remember is it's the same thing. You have to practice it, practice it, practice it so that you don't revert to the thing that's comfortable to you. The, uh, the new thing will be comfortable later. I, you know, um, so many of the things that were difficult for me to do now, I can't stand like this hanging up coats. I run around and hang up everybody's coats. I can't stand to see a coat on a chair. And it's because I have a new neurological pattern in my brain and a new way of seeing what neat looks like. You teach it to yourself an activity at a time, just as your parents taught you to wipe your feet before you came in the house. It sounds silly, but it's really the same principle. You don't have to think about wiping your feet when you come in the house, I hope, because somebody <laughs> made you do it over and over and over until you know your feet just do it, you know, autopilot. Were you surprised, we, we talked about micro, um, small baby, these changes. Were you surprised to find out that Healthy Harrison has pretty much adopted or reuses our Bible, the baby steps, the whole concept of? Yeah, um, I was introduced to that by your team a few years ago. Obviously had a lot in common. I don't think, certainly not the first person to say to do small, right? And I think the baby steps are great that you're putting that out because I think the important thing is success breeds on success and failure breeds on failure. So if you try something big and fail and then you fail again, pretty soon you're sending yourself the message that you can't do it. But if, as you guys recommend, you take a baby step, I guarantee you that baby step is not a baby step. What they say in behavioral change is most of the time, what we do is what we do most of the time. Every once in a while, we do something new. That's the tenet of behavioral science, that we're programmed to do the same things over and over. So if you make a baby step, as you guys call it, in Healthy Harrison, and you stick with it, it's big. It's small enough to be successful, but it's going to send a ripple through your life. That's positive, I hope. Let me remind our viewers that this podcast is brought to you by WVU Medicine, United, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. They are our great sponsors. They help us produce this show and bring it to you live every week. Our guest today is Carolyn Arnold. She's the author of Small Move, Big Change. And uh, we've got a couple more questions, but I need to check on your availability of time. Are you still good, Carolyn, if we go a couple more minutes? I'm still good. Great, I'm okay, good. good. Uh, I think you and um, Amy were addressing it a little bit before we went live, that being the change in all of our lives over the last couple of years related to the pandemic. I was curious and had written in my notes, I wonder how often you had to make a new 
micro resolution or modify a micro resolution as a result of now you're not in the office environment as much. Now you're in a home environment more. Now your kids who are students are doing things differently. Wow. The whole dynamic uh, changed. And I, I, I wonder, did micro resolutions change as well? It's a great question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Mm. Um, I think it was such a novelty to find myself at home um, my daughter home from college, my husband here, all of us here, you know, that we had a whole different set of routines. So all the routines were upended. So that's an opportunity yeah. to sort of think about those things. And some of those routines that got upended weren't so great. It's like, like a lot of people, I went into the baking thing, which is great, unless, you know, uh, I was you know, eating more. There wasn't a lot of things to do. And I was like, shopping for nice bottles of wine and things like that. And at a certain point I realized, man, I don't know, I, I've gained six pounds, you know? And this is the thing, all change happens at the margin. I didn't wake up the next day and gain six pounds. I just made a few of these changes from being home. And over a period of months, I realized it. And then I had to make some other changes, which then I carried over back into work. So one thing that was different was I was making my own lunch every day, right? Instead of at the office, I would run out and get something. And I was making my own coffee all day long. And it sounds silly, but when I went back to the office, I thought, I like the way I'm eating and these changes that I made in response to kind of what happened. I, I like the way I've organized it and I have a certain range of things. For the first time in my life, I make my lunch at work every day. Now, sometimes I have a business lunch, but mostly I make it. And it's been one of the greatest changes for me to come out of the pandemic because I, I feel like I look forward to what I'm going to have. It's really good. It's tasty. It's healthy. It's within my, you know, it helps me maintain a healthy weight. And it's great. I make a huge thermos of my own coffee. I, I perfected my brew when I was out Oh, the pandemic. <laughs> and now that's the only coffee. So I, I carry that. Um, I had to change my walking routines and things because my walking routines were based on take the subway to this stop. And now I'm 30 mm -hmm. minutes from work. Right. And now work, you know, so my walks around here were more, you know, it could be fit in at different hours in different times. And so I had to sort of try to make a, a routine out of that. Uh, because I wasn't kind of on the way to work or on the way home from work. And now that I'm back at work, uh, I don't have the same, you know, situation where I can run out to the park in the middle of the day. So I'm readjusting those routines. So yeah, there were a lot of them. And then I think, you know, um, there's a whole etiquette and way of interacting through these Zooms and everything that we've all gotten a lot better at, right? Um, and I think things that, you know, work for us well, or for me, well around a conference table, we're less successful in these situations. So sort of understanding how you're interacting and how to yeah. make these formats work. So yeah. a lot of different change. Yeah. Amy? You've been a, a, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna just, Carolyn, you've been a great asset to Healthy Harrison. Uh, your books received numerous accolades. Have other businesses and organizations asked you to speak or consult about this transformative expertise that you have? I have. Um, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of speaking engagements. And one thing is when I say everyone wants to self-improve, the book is in 17 different languages. So that tells you, you know, it's in Slovakia, you know, it's in, in all these places. It's just everybody has that desire. 
And, you know, each organization I speak at, you know, often it's very business, some of it's health and some of it is business focused, like, you know, help people understand how to use mentors, help people understand, you know, how to change their behavior to help them get to the next level. But now these days, you know, I see such a shift. There's more and more in the core in, in, in business life, which is about health. As you said, it's healthy mind, you know, a positive intent in, in life and in work at home. And uh, so there's a, a lot of interest in those things. I also was part of um, uh, a, a startup company that did, you know, um, uh, uh, that does, you know, small changes and they're involved with corporations and they take some of this and take it forward and they're involved in organizations such as yours. But to me, Healthy Harrison is unique. And, and some of these uh, invitations, um, you know, are global. I've, I've spoken in Africa. I got an invitation during the pandemic to come to Japan, but it was, didn't seem to make sense to do it at the height of the pandemic, but that wasn't, you know, interesting. And so um, I've been very lucky that way. But this, this kind of format I, I really love where you've got, you know, an, a specific audience. You guys have a very, you know, you have a, you have a history and a relationship with your audience. And you have an understanding of how you want this to fit in as opposed to kind of more general. So that makes it very kind of cozy and, and, and fun to kind of imagine your audience and healthy heirs. And especially since it was something that um, your team spoke to me about a few years ago when the book first came out. So I feel very connected to it. Uh, Carolyn, uh, last question. Uh, this, this book uh, was a cathartic experience uh, endeavor of of sorts, are you uh, are you ready to tackle the next subject, and and will there be a novel down the road yet? Oh, thank you for asking that, Gary. <laughs> um, I I I I do have notes for other books. Um, you know, one one um, kind of on tech and culture, um, and I'm always thinking about a novel, but. Uh, I don't, I had, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a couple other essays that I had in mind and I really hope to get to that. Um, right now, I would say it's really more in the note taking space. Um, you mm -hmm. know, I, um, and, and, and dreaming about the future right now, I'm, I'm very involved also in work and putting this into play there, but I do foresee other books and um, different, the, the folks that publish this book are, are pinging me pretty regularly. So we'll see if, if something okay. comes out. And, and one more little thing, because we always ask our guests, how about a little uh, micro piece of advice for the folks we're trying to reach out to here in the local community every day? How do we help them get healthier? Yeah. I mean, nobody knows you like you know you. And if you, the, the most important ingredient is the desire to make a positive change in your life. And even the smallest change that you are able to pick up and, and sustain is a big change. And you need to reward yourself for that, feel good about that, and let that give you confidence to do the next thing. Don't give up. If you do something that you think is small and after a few times it's too hard, trim it down a little bit. See if something a little less will work, but make it very specific and don't negotiate with yourself. If you're doing something Monday morning, you're doing it Monday morning. And if you don't do it, okay, you didn't do it. Then understand why did I miss on that? But don't just kick the can down the road, get really specific about what you're doing 
and observe your own behavior and you'll make a lot of changes. You, you'll, be, you'll be successful in making more changes than you would ever have foreseen possible and you're gonna enjoy doing it. I have to say, I enjoy it every time I make a change. It's hard, even the smallest change is hard. That's what I really discovered because you have to learn to do it and I have to get acclimated to doing it. But then it's easy and that's the goal. Carolyn, our thanks to you for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, and our thanks to all of you for joining us today for this Healthy Harrison podcast. It's our goal to change your state of mind and ultimately change the state of health here locally and throughout West Virginia. If you want more help right now, visit healthyharrison.org or visit the Healthy Harrison Facebook page and give us a like. You'll find lots of support and you can stream past episodes of our podcasts on the Facebook page. Again, we thank our sponsors, WVU Medicine, United Hospital Center, West Virginia University, The State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. On behalf of Healthy Harrison, Amy and I thank all of you for joining us today. Next week, Brock Malcolm and Amy will be talking with Dr. Sunil Sharma. He's the director of MICU and pulmonary and sleep medicine program development at WVU Medicine. You'll learn all about that next week. I'm not gonna to try to explain it now. If you ever thought, I don't know how to get started, pick up a copy of Small Move, Big Change. It'll be a huge help. And watch the Healthy Harrison podcast every week. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much.